When Matt sent me the subject for today's sermon, I have to admit, I looked at the list of the questions, and I was like, that's the one I want. And he said, well, that's the one you can get. And I really love it because today's question and today's story, I feel like really fits with me in my current season of my spiritual journey. Uh, So a lot of what we're going to talk about today, specifically fear, is something that I deal with on a daily basis, and I'm trying to figure out how to rest in God during those seasons, and so I'm hopeful that today that will be helpful for you guys as well. So, like I said, we're starting off a new sermon series today called Seven Questions. We're going to flip the script a little bit from what we typically do. Usually, uh, we look at the scripture, and we look at Jesus, and we think Jesus or God has all of the answers. And today, as we're looking at our new sermon series, we're actually going to look at seven questions that Jesus asks to his disciples. And I love that because for you and I, here in 2022, as followers of Jesus, these are questions that Jesus asks us as well. So over the next, I suppose, this week plus six, we're going to talk about seven questions. And I'm going to read those off to you guys so you can get a little taste of what to expect for this series. Uh, The questions we're going to be talking about are this. Who do you say that I am? Do you believe that I can do this? Do you want to get well? Has no one condemned you? Why do you strike me? And why do you doubt? And I love these questions because I think all of them kind of apply to us as well. Who do we say that Jesus is? Why do we doubt? And today the question we're going to be talking about is, why are you afraid? So really quick, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we will get jumped right in. Um, I'm hopeful that this will be respectful of your time. I haven't done a sermon in two years, so I put it into a calculator, and it said we're going to be between 10 minutes and 50 minutes. So buckle up. We'll see what happens. <coughs> we're, hoping for, we're hoping for not 50. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump right in. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to get together this morning to worship you take communion, to sit beside fellow Christians, and to read your word and see how that can apply to your life. Help us to have a great morning. Help us to learn something about ourselves and about you. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, this morning the question we're going to start off with uh, is from Mark chapter 4. So if you want to, go ahead, open your Bibles or your phones. Um, I always say this, but if you have your phone out, we're going to be cool as long as I don't see you Snapchatting. Uh, so don't Snapchat, JD, and uh, we'll be good. So go ahead and open your Bibles or your phones to Mark chapter 4. Um, and today the question that we're talking about is, why are you afraid? And if I were to stand up here and ask you guys to raise your hand if you've ever been afraid of something, or if you're currently afraid of something, I think all of us would raise our hands. You see, in life, some of our fears are very, very rational. Some of our fears are of things that might happen or that are currently happening that really, really freak us out and seem to overwhelm us. But today I also want to address the fact that some of our fears are completely irrational. And as we look at today's story, I'm going to take a look at how I think that maybe some of the fears that the disciples had in that moment were actually irrational fears. But to get started today, I want to play a quick game because I'm in student ministry. That means we always have to play a game. So I'm going to play a quick game with us. So in a second, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a phobia up on the screen. And then I want you guys to yell at me, not like politely raise your hand and then I'll call on you. I want you to yell at me what you think that phobia is. And we're going to move really quick and then I'll tell you what the answer is. So let's go ahead, put the first one on the screen there for me. The first one we have is nomophobia. 
Nomophobia. Anybody have an idea what nomophobia is? <laughs> what was that? That was a lot. Someone said, I think someone said running out of chocolate. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay, nomophobia uh, is the fear of being without your phone. Does anybody have that? Anybody like take 10 seconds away from your phone and you're like freaking out? Just me? Amazing. Also, part of this game is raise your hand so we can laugh at you about these. Uh, the next one is this. Uh, put that up there. Arithmophobia. Anybody? Math? Yes. Math? Numbers? Yes. Uh, this is the fear of numbers. Anybody else scared of numbers? No. Okay, cool. Uh, next one is abluttophobia. We're going to assume I said that right. Abluttophobia. Any ideas? This one is one that middle schoolers have. It's a fear of bathing. Uh, and I promise you, I promise you, if you go back in Wired right now, you'll realize I am right. Uh, anyway, yes. So pray for them and their abluttophobia. Next one is this. I love this one. Omphalophobia. Sound it out. That's what they taught me in first grade. Anybody have an idea? No. No. This one, no one has any idea, is the fear of belly buttons. Is anybody afraid of... Not afraid of belly buttons either. Okay, and then the next one is one that I get a lot um, as I'm hanging out with little kids. So if you know my experience with little kids, you'll know this is true. The next one is this, pognophobia. The fear of beards, yes. Every time that I hang out with a small child, the kid starts crying. And I just assume they all have, I'm, I'm hopeful it's the beard and not just the general aesthetic. Um, and then finally, this one right here, astrophobia. Not stars not space. Astrophobia is the fear of storms, is the fear of storms, uh, which is a good segue into today when we're in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. We're going to talk about a group of men that we call Jesus's disciples that had this fear called astrophobia. They were afraid of storms. And here in a second, we're going to see that that fear was very, very real for them. Before we start reading, I want to give just some helpful context before we get started. We're in Mark chapter 4, but this story can be found in three out of four of the Gospels. Um, and from what we know, this story occurs pretty early in the ministry of Jesus. His disciples had been following him for a short time at that point. But the thing about it is, Jesus had already started to amass a really, really great following. Um, he had been going around, his ministry has now started, and he's been teaching and healing and casting out demons, and it's been amazing. And I can only imagine being one of his disciples in that moment as I'm wandering around following in the footsteps of Jesus and watching him literally change the world in front of our eyes. And so Jesus has established his reputation as someone worth following, and that's where we're going to start in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, where we find ourselves on a boat with Jesus and his disciples. And it says this, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, and just as he was in the boat, they were also, or there were also other boats with him. So before we move on, I want to set that context just a little bit more for us. What we're talking about is Jesus and his closest group of friends after a long day of teaching and caring for the crowds that were following him. Okay? So I imagine the disciples were probably hungry, angry, and tired, right? They've been dealing with people all day, and I'm sure if I were one of the disciples in that moment, what I would have liked is to have just kind of camped out for the night, taken a little rest, and then maybe in the morning we could get about that whole going to the other side of the lake thing. 
Um, some helpful context here is in his book, The Way, a pastor named Adam Hamilton tells us that the type of boat that they were using, plus the weight of the disciples, would have meant the boat in that moment would have been only about a foot out of water. There would have been a very low margin of error in that boat. And then this trip would typically take about two hours to get from one side to the other of the Sea of Galilee, which is also uh, just better known as a lake. So today, I want you to remember, on this boat, there are no lights, there are no cell phones, there's no weather channel, there's no radars. All they had was lanterns, each other, and the God of the universe in their boat. And then it says this in verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So what we know from the other Gospels is that this, uh, this story is actually not about like a regular storm with rain. Uh, it never talks about rain, even though in a lot of the pictures we see of drawings of this, there's rain. Uh, we know this is a windstorm. It was very, very common for the Sea of Galilee to have these windstorms. And it says a furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Remember, we're talking about a small boat with a tired crew in pitch black in the middle of the night and now dealing with a storm. In verse 38, it goes on to tell us what Jesus was doing during the whole ordeal. John Mark says this, a furious squall uh, came up, the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped, and Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I don't know about you guys, but if I was rolling with Jesus and he had said, leave your family, leave your work, leave everything behind and follow me, I would have been relying on that guy for everything. And in that moment where I'm on a boat in the middle of the night and the waves are breaking over the boat, the only thing on my mind would have been, where is Jesus? And from this verse, we hear that Jesus is sleeping. I mean, I imagine Jesus laying down, AirPods in, sleepy time music after like a nice cup of chamomile tea, and he is just snoozing seemingly at the expense of the disciples. The story goes on to say this. The disciples woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The ending of the story is exactly what we would expect. Despite the fact that it's crazy, when we're talking about Jesus, we expect these kind of things to happen. But for the disciples in that moment, they were petrified of the storm around them. So they run down to the stern. I don't know how boats work. Uh, down, up, I don't know. To the stern. Uh, <laughs> I should have done more research. I apologize. Uh, they run down the stern. They go get Jesus. He wakes up from his nap, removes his fuzzy mask, drinks a glass of orange juice, walks out to the storm, and says, quiet, be still, and everything is made right in that moment. And I love this story because I can see myself so clearly in it. I know exactly how I would have been reacting if I had been on that boat. I would have been freaking out. I would have been completely afraid. I would have been throwing stuff, stuff off, including like other people. Like, here, just get off. Get off, Judas. That would have saved us a lot. That would have saved us a lot of heartache. Get off, Judas. Uh, sorry, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, the thing is, guys, 
in the same way that the disciples had fears in that moment and throughout their life, we all have fears too. And at times, I think we all question God during those seasons, and we say things like, don't you care about me? That's what the disciples say to Jesus. Hey, don't you care that we drown? We'll come back to that here in a few minutes. I'm sure we can all think of a time in our life where the waves and the storms of life felt like they were surrounding us and breaking over our boat and swamping us. And the only thing we could do was look around and be afraid. So when Jesus asked this question, what are you afraid of? There's a really, really obvious answer for the disciples. The answer was the storm. But in this story, I actually see a couple types of storms that I think uh, apply to us that we're going to take a look at this morning. Uh, So the first type of storm, if you're taking notes, is this. The first type of storm is a physical storm, right? Like when we talk about storms, we usually are talking about physical storms. For the disciples in this story, the storm they found themselves in was a physical storm complete with wind and breaking waves and a boat that looked like it was about to go under. Nothing they could do would have stopped the storm. I want you to think about that for a second. Nothing that they could have done would have stopped the storm. While most of us will never be in a physical storm on a small boat with our best friends uh, like this one, I think we all go through physical storms throughout our life. We go through things that are physically difficult in our life. A couple of examples that I had, um, and these are definitely not an exhaustive list, but a couple of examples that I had was maybe the moment where your spouse tells you to leave and end your marriage. It could be something like meeting with your boss, and your boss tells you that you've been laid off. Or maybe it's a diagnosis of a difficult disease or sickness. I mean, another example of a storm that we've all been through for the past two years has been a global pandemic that despite our best efforts, we could not stop. So up at the top of your outline, we have this big idea for today. I'm sorry I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit with that, but uh, the big idea for today is this, that peace is uh, is not found in the blank of storms, but in the blank of God. And that first uh, blank there is going to be absence. Peace is not found in the absence of storms, but in the blank of God. As I started looking uh, at this story just a little bit more, I found a lot of commentaries that told us that this type of storm on the Sea of Galilee was extremely unpredictable. It was the type of thing that you would get out on your boat and then suddenly there'd be a windstorm. It's just because of the way that the geography is there. Um, The storms like this happened pretty frequently. But back in their day, as a reminder, they didn't have the weather channel. Like Jesus couldn't pull out his phone and ask Siri what the weather was going to be on the Sea of Galilee that night. I think this applies to you and I. It's a really great comparison because in the physical storms in our life, they're oftentimes something that we can never predict. They're things that we wake up one morning having a great day and suddenly something is going wrong. And once again, the problem with this type of storm is it's impossible for us to stop it. And I think that's one of the reasons that it makes us so afraid is because we know that we don't have control over that type of thing. Despite our best attempts to run from, to hide from, or completely ignore trials and storms in life, we can never truly avoid them. 
And I'm sure if we were to take a moment of self-reflection, we can all think back to a moment in our life where things seemed to be going well, and then suddenly we were facing a storm. Maybe it's something like a letter of termination, or like I said, those divorce papers, or that diagnosis. Many of these major storms in our life come completely without warning, and they leave us completely afraid. But I think something else is happening in this story. It's the next type of storm that we're going to talk about, and it's this. It's an emotional storm. An emotional storm. You know, one of the cool things about the Gospels is at times these stories that are told in one Gospel are told in another. And like I said, this story specifically is told in three out of four. Um, And so as I was like reading through them, I wanted to kind of check each one because what happens is these stories overlap and we get more and more context of what was actually happening in that moment. Um, And so I decided to read the story from Luke's account, right? And it says this in Luke chapter 8. So they set out, and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down the lake and they were being swamped and were in danger. They came and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are going to die. I love the telling from Luke's gospel because it gives us a little bit more of the context of what was going through the disciples' head in that moment. And what happens here is they come out and they make this comment, Master, Master, which is interesting because at this point, I'm sure they were very, very angry. Instead of just calling him Jesus, they still called him Master. I love that. Um, There's probably an application there for us that in the times of our life that are the hardest, we still need to look to Jesus as our Master. Uh, But anyway, in that moment, they say, Master, Master, we are going to die. And I think what's happened in this part of the story is that the disciples have taken the physical elements of the wind and the waves and the flooding, and they have taken it into their heart and into their mind. They have internalized the physical storm, and it's now left them with what today we're going to call an emotional storm. It's very easy for us to see ourselves in this scenario as well, because I don't know about you guys, but I am so in my head all the time about literally everything. And in 2022, there is an ongoing and very prevalent conversation in our world right now about things like anxiety and depression and worry and stress and other emotions. And I believe that a large reason for this is because we've allowed our physical storms to turn into emotional storms. The way this plays out in our life can be kind of subtle, uh, but it is kind of different. It could be getting a nasty email from your boss and then internalizing that fear that you're going to be fired even if you're not going to be fired. Another one uh, could be getting in a fight with your significant other and internalizing the fear that that's going to be the end of your relationship, even when you're probably going to be able to work things out because everybody fights sometimes. Uh, Another one maybe uh, for you parents, not hearing from your kid for a while while they're out with friends and internalizing the fear that they may be in danger of some sort when maybe their phone has just died or something. You see, the problem with these emotional storms is that while they are very, very scary and sometimes very rational, they can also be a complete fabrication. In our last sermon series, Matt talked about the lies that we believe and doing our best to combat those lies with truth. And when it comes to these emotional storms, I think a lot of times we're believing a lot of lies and we're internalizing them and they're causing a storm. Furthermore, I think that Satan, who is the father of all lies, loves it when we get in our head 
and when we have these emotional storms and these fears that we keep playing with. There's one final type of storm uh, here that I believe is causing fear for the, for the disciples in this passage, and it comes from Mark chapter 4, verse 38, where uh, it says this, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And I think what's happening here is because of their fear in the physical storm and their internalization of that storm and that fear, they've now landed themselves in a much more dangerous place in a spiritual storm. You see, the comment they make there, Jesus, don't you care if we drown, is something that I think you and I ask ourselves all the time. Maybe not in that exact same way, but I do think we have those thoughts The comment made here is indicative that the disciples had given up a sense of trust in Jesus. The man that they had seen perform miracles and cast out demons and teach to large crowds, and they had been following and given up their life for, now seemed like he wasn't coming through for them in the moment that they needed him the most. And it really feels like something, I hear this all the time, as I'm talking to people about, hey, why have you stopped coming to church, or why have you stopped doing this or that, reading your Bible or praying, it seems like a lot of times that's the thought that gets in our head. This thing in life happened, I got afraid of it, and it didn't feel like Jesus was there to help. I think there's the thought that uh, we have, and it's a lie that we believe, and it's a very real danger for all of us. You know, the thing about it is, we are very quick to forget the ways that the Lord has blessed us and cared for us and watched over us and protected us and loved us in the midst of our past storms. Sometimes it's really hard for us to remember the faithfulness of God. Um, It kind of plays out in our lives with questions like this. God, don't you care about me? Don't you care about my family? Don't you care about my job? Don't you care about my kids? Don't you care about blank? And see, the thing is, as Christians, we know from Scripture that God does care about us. We know from Scripture that God does love us. We've started to believe the lie that he's not there for us, and we need to combat that lie with some truth. And so Romans 8.28 says this, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Paul writes this, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. One more time. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. You see, the thing about it is, when it comes to all things, that includes the trials and storms and fears of life. You know, sometimes we look at Paul and we think, man, Paul, like, of course Paul says this. Like, Paul is the writer of most of the New Testament. Like, of course that's what Paul would say. I want to remind us a little bit of what Paul had been through in his life. Uh, He gives an account in 2 Corinthians 11. You can read along with me because it's a lot, and I'll probably lose track. He says this, I have worked harder, been put in prison more, been whipped uh, times without number, and I have faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers, 
and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in cities and deserts and on seas, and I have faced danger from men who claim to believe, uh, who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone long without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. I'll tell you what, like, you and I will have some really, really difficult storms in life, and there will be a lot of things to be afraid of. But for the Apostle Paul, his life was just on a totally different level. Shipwrecked, beaten, whipped, stoned, starving, right? From his friends and from his enemies. You know, so I want to return to our big idea and kind of ask myself, well, how was Paul able to have peace? And so our big idea for today is this. Uh, Peace is not found in the absence of storms, but in the presence of God. Peace is not found in the absence of the storms, but in the presence of God. So today, to close out our service, I'm going to give us three quick practical things that you and I can remember that will hopefully help us uh, have a little bit more peace in the times of storms have a little bit more peace when we're afraid. And the first one that I have is this. When you're afraid, remember God's promises. Remember God's promises. All throughout Scripture, we find promises time and time and time and time again. I was actually curious uh, when I was writing my sermon how many promises are found in Scripture. And a guy named Everett R. Storms did the hard work Uh, He spent a year and a half reading through the Bible and noting every single promise that he could find every single time, and he found that there are 8,810 promises in Scripture. That is a wild amount of work and a wild amount of promises. But I love this part. He found and kind of categorized those that 7,500 of them were promises that were being made from God to humankind. Things like, I will be with you. Things like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Things like, I will send a comforter or a helper. We have so many promises in Scripture that we can rely on, but I think we just forget them. You see, the thing about it is, it's not in God's character to lie. He cannot do that. And so when he makes a promise, and we read that promise, we can believe that he will deliver that promise. This application point kind of reminds me of uh, one of the things that Matt said in our last sermon series. Matt said in regards to Satan and, and lies and truth that we need to name the lies and we need to know the truth. So for you and I, one of the, the easiest ways to do that is by remembering those promises of God. So our last two application points are going to be kind of based on some of those promises. In Deuteronomy 31, chapter 6, says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Our second application point is this. When you're afraid, remember God's presence. Remember God's presence. When we look back at this story, the disciples ultimately do run to Jesus, right? Jesus, remember, sleeping in the stern. 
they do run to him, but the question that kind of kept coming to my mind is what if instead of doing all the panicking and trying to save themselves and fearing things that they had done, what if they had just went to Jesus right at the beginning? Like, oh, hey, it's starting to get a little windy. Let's go get Jesus and see what he can do. You know, the thing about it is you and I are kind of like that with our storms in life too, with our fears in life too. A lot of times we play with them, uh, we try to fix them ourselves, and then after everything else is gone, we're like, well, maybe I should go to Jesus now. The thing about it is, the presence of God is with us every single day. In the midst of our storms, we're often slow to remember that God is with us in those storms. Scripture tells us that when we start following God, the Holy Spirit, God himself indwells us, and with that comes things like love and joy. But according to Galatians 5, we also receive something else. Peace. And I think for a lot of you guys in here right now, as you're thinking through the storms that you're maybe currently going through and the fears that you currently have, you just want to feel that peace. And I believe it's found in the presence of God. There's something about this awareness, about this peace, about this presence, um, that even in the toughest seasons of life, it can change things. Even on a boat in the middle of the night with waves breaking over the side, it changed things. I just finished reading a book, I'm kind of a nerd, uh, by a monk who lived back in the 1600s, and his name was Brother Lawrence. And the guy, basically all he did, he lived at a monastery and he washed dishes, and that was his life. Um, But this book uh, called The Practice of the Presence of God, and it's at the bottom of your notes as a recommended reading, because I think you guys should all pick it up, it's just amazing. Um, At his time in the monastery, he wrote these letters to his friends. And in every single letter in this book, he talks about this practice of the presence of God, or simply put, becoming aware that God was present. Here's what he said in one of his letters. He said, I honestly cannot understand how people who claim to love the Lord can be content without practicing his presence. My preference is to retire with him to the deepest part of my soul as often as possible, and when I'm with him there, nothing frightens me. But the slightest diversion away from him is painful for me. You see, for Brother Lawrence, the key to riding out the storms and the fears in life was just relying on that presence of God with him. And like I said, this sermon like, that I'm sharing with you all is a sermon that I'm preaching to myself because I have a highly anxious mind and I'm constantly afraid of something. And the thing that I've been trying to do whenever I have a fearful thought or an anxious thought is simply slowing down for a second and reminding myself that God said he would never leave me and he would never forsake me and that he's with me. And I'm not going to say it's perfect every single time, but I do think that making ourselves aware of the presence of God helps. For Brother Lawrence, like I said, he used to wash dishes. Can you imagine, like, that's all you do (laughs) is wash dishes? And no, I would never do that. Not even a dishwasher or a disposal. Wow. Um, Anyway, but he used to refer in some of his letters to God as the Lord of the dishes because he was so aware of God's presence that even when he was just sitting there doing something as simple as washing dishes, he felt that peace from God. Uh, The second promise and our final point for today is this. It comes from Acts chapter 1, starts in verse 6, and it's from another moment when the disciples are fearful. What's about to happen is Jesus has now died and resurrected, and he's about to go back to heaven and leave his friends behind. It says this, Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, 
Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Our final application point for today is this. When you're afraid, remember God's power. When you're afraid, remember God's power. As we finish our service up today, I want to remind us that the same God who created the seas and calmed the seas created us and has the power to calm the storms in my life and in yours. While we may never physically calm wind and rain, we will see the storms in our life calmed because of the God who is with us and has power over those storms. When the storms are raging on around us and in us, let us remember God's promises, his presence, and his power. Because if we do that, I'm convinced that we'll start to see what Jesus said in John 14 when he said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give it as the world gives it. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for a peace that surpasses all of our understanding. God, we know that there are going to be storms in our life that we cannot control, that we cannot get our way out of, that God, in the midst of those storms, we know that you are present and that you are powerful. So help us to remember that, whether it's a physical storm that we're facing, an emotional storm that we're facing, or even a season of a spiritual storm where we're doubting that you care about us. Help us to remember that you do, and that all things are working together for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.